The residential real estate world is guilty of some fuzzy math. Within Compass's second quarter earnings report was a note explaining that the firm had lowered its market share estimates for 2020, 2021, and the first quarter of 2022. Mm. The changes, it said, were a result of a change in methodology the National Association of Realtors made in July in order to better account for luxury homes. Mm. Two market analysts pointed the finger squarely at the National Association of Realtors, which is the residential industry's largest trade group. Emphasis Mm. on trade group. With over 1.5 million agent members coughing up nearly $230 million in dues over the first nine months of 2021, according to Real Trends. That's not in there because it's nebulous and not relevant. That's in there to tell you there's an economic reason for them to want to have these realtors continue to give them dues. Right. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's the higher standard. I am once again your host, Chris, a.k.a. the Jeff Goldblum of podcasting. And that, Kim Jong-un look motherfucker over there. No, don't don't say that. Your favorite co-host. Your favorite co-host, Saeed Omar, is with me. And we are going to take several victory laps today. Victory laps you should have expected because we are immature assholes. Yeah, yeah, we are all about that. I am all about saying we were right and you were wrong. I am not above doing this every time. I am not above it either. So there are several things that have happened since the last time we have graced your presence with a podcast, which have been a little bit foreshadowing of things to come, but have validated so much of our position on the show. And for those of you who want a reminder, your favorite personal financial guy who's been doing real estate for 44 years, (laughs) Dave Ramsey, said this in June. House prices are going to go up every year for the next five years. How do you know if you're ready to buy a house? Because if you're ready to buy a house, you need to buy now. All right. Here's how you know if you're ready. You're out of debt. So we took a little objection with Dr. Ramsey's position in the subsequent podcast. I want to say it was the first week of July, was it? July 1st. July 1st. There you go. Look at that. And uh, it was met with some heavy, heavy degree of skepticism. And then Mr. Ramsey here doubled down on stupid doing this whole presentation several weeks later with which he told all of his fans and followers that the, the data just didn't support it. It didn't support a decrease in values, man. Nope. Nope. And to be fair, I don't feel like we were foreshadowing something that wasn't obvious. I think we we could see it coming. I don't. I the the play for him here was directing people to his affiliate, his affiliate link. So yeah. he, he was trying to get the last of that money in before it dried up. Right. Yeah. 
you're doing affiliate links to referrals to brokers. You try to bump in as, mi- as much traffic as you can, earn that commission until it's obvious. So we are clearly in a housing recession now. The National Association of Realtors have come out. Lawrence Yu, an economist I am not a fan of, and you'll hear more about that later, has come out and said that we are officially in a housing recession. There are a number of people, I think we talked about a little bit in the previous podcast as well, right. that have come out and said it in addition to that. So that is that is an un undisputable fact at this point in time. Although Lawrence Yu's quote on it was interesting in that he was suggesting that while we are in a housing recession, that it will not actually impact values, which I thought was very, very, very weird. Right. But who cares? Because we're going to take the victory lap that we wanted anyway. So let's start things off with the my, my favorite topic as of late is the quote, non-banks are poorly capitalized. <laughs> Okay. Said Nancy Wallace, chair of the real estate group at Berkeley Haas, the business school at University of California, Berkeley. This is a quote here. When the mortgage market tanks, they are in trouble. (laughs) So I'm not going to jump right into the real estate stuff because I want to savor that piece. This is the appetizer. This is the warm up. So profound. So profound. And we warned you several episodes ago that Loan Depot was going to have some trouble. Non-bank lenders. They closed their wholesale department, right? Wholesale division closed down. They are currently trading at $1.63, I think, one one sixty five. They've been kind of floating around there for a while. Down 94%. 94%, almost 95% from their IPO, their all-time high. Therein lies a problem. There's a, there's a website whose name I don't want to give out because I don't really know the accuracy of it, but they do a probability of default on mm-hmm. companies. Oh, wow. Their probability of default right now on, on Loan, Loan Depot is about 62%, basically meaning that they're going to go into bankruptcy. Wow. Because they've already, they've already clearly defaulted on their debt obligations. But the probability of them going into bankruptcy for their, their offense purposes is about 62% according to this website. And that's a really nebulous thing. And there are some things that, that Loan Depot has like mortgage servicing rights, which are going up in value as rates go up in value because people don't refinance them. So th- there's some things that are happening that are positive for them, but they're going to have to find a way to turn profitable real quick. Otherwise, they're in a lot of trouble. Right. This is largely because the US mortgage market has slowed down immensely. We're talking... Uh, uh, probably less than half at this point of the activity that we once saw as recently as 2020 and 2021. Mm-hmm. So we, we've seen a huge fall off. And yet at the same time, you have realtors who are, who are in complete denial of this, saying that, oh, th- th- these things won't impact, won't impact our business. There's still tons of activity out there. There's a supply and demand issue. Right. So the home builders are canceling. Therefore, there's less of a supply. So the demand will still be there and prices won't come down is, is what they're suggesting. So we're still on the appetizer. This is the second course uh, before we get to the meat of the real estate thing. There's another quote. My, one of, this one I actually found really interesting. Housing market is, quote, extremely volatile, end quote, with private equity accounting for a third of the sales, according to experts. Now, for those of you who don't remember, private equity also got the benefit of a carve out from the Inflation Reduction Act. A huge carve out. That's huge right. carve out. Well, here is some of the information. This is from Redfin. Redfin analysts showed... Real estate investors bought 18.4% of homes sold in the fourth quarter of 2021, up from 12.6% a year earlier. That's scary, man. So they effectively own 20% of the market. Now, that is a national number. Mm -hmm. The really funky thing is here, when you go to some states, like uh, I want to say it's North Carolina, South Carolina, Arizona, a couple others in there, they have like closer to 50%. Wow. And in some states like California, they're not really touching much, uh, largely because of the cost basis here and other places like that. But they're going after that entry-level product because right. they want renters there. Yeah. And that's what 
most renters want. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's shocking to see how this is playing out. At the same time, you remember Adam Newman? Uh, no. We work Adam Newman, the guy who was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So he was, there was a lot of money invested into him for WeWork. It didn't work out. The, the, uh, the whole situation with SoftBank went kind of south for him. He was exited out. Well, he just got another round of financing for a new project. Which I want to say it's called Flow, but basically he put $300 million of his own money into multifamily real estate mm. with the same kind of ideology that, that, the original WeWork was supposed to be hip, cool, appealing to that same demographic, but this time multifamily as opposed to commercial real estate. Right. I know. I think that the statistics show that housing starts, like the permits that are being pulled are up for the multifamily space, mm -hmm. but significantly down for the single family space. But not in affordable housing. Right. Only in like the high-end product. And of course, this guy's going to cater straight to that. Yeah. He also got, uh, I want to say it's Andreessen, who just put 300, Andreessen Horowitz, I think it was like, put $350 million into him as an investment, and you're thinking like, wow, like somebody's really going to reinvest in this guy who just did the whole WeWork thing. But yeah. really fascinating discuss discussion of that on the All In podcast with Jamath and those guys because they're really more in the VC space than, than we are. Mm -hmm. We're just assholes who love real estate. Yeah, and love calling people out. <laughs> <laughs> love calling people out. And with no further ado, we should probably, we should probably get to um, some details about the housing market, shall we? Oh, let's do it. Okay. Now that you guys have been warmed up with a little bit of foreplay. The Real Deal is a, is a website, uh, an Instagram page that I particularly like to follow for a number of reasons. And there's two things that we're going to give you from them this week. This is the first, which segues directly into the housing stuff we talked about. This is a quote, a housing recession. Home sales fall for six straight months. Actually, I want to say it's closer to eight months, but it's okay. It's the longest period of consecutive drops in eight years. Eight years, which led to the ultimate middle finger to some people that I would like to remind you of. Keeping Current Matters not too long ago came out with a chart that we read to you on the last podcast, which talked about all of their, quote, experts and their predictions mm -hmm. saying that home values are only going to go up and they're going to go up so much and it's going to be amazing. Yet we were saying that Moody's and Fitch and all these other mass data aggregators were already saying that there are some places where home values will go up and there are some places where home values will go down. We're talking about a net neutral, possibly 0% increase for the next year. A very different tone. Yeah, and taking a much more conservative approach. Much more conservative approach. Well, today, as of, as of we today, uh, August 22nd, we record this podcast, Zillow, this is, an, this is from them today, home prices to fall in these 123 housing markets while 780 markets will go higher in 2023. For those of you who don't remember, let's jog your memory. <laughs> First, it was Dave Ramsey saying prices are not going to go down. Then it was... A recession won't impact home values. Then it was because everybody was pointing. Remember, I don't know if you remember those charts. Everybody was pointing to, well, you know, not all recessions are real estate recessions. So for the record, this has already been called a real estate recession before it's been called a it's national a, it's recession. It's a housing recession before it's before, called. Right. Right. Okay. So now there's two, there's two foul balls. Here's the third one. Then people said some values will go down. Mm -hmm. Yet Keeping Matters Current and Dave Ramsey have always said and been steadfast in their position that home values will not go down. They didn't carve that out. They didn't say in these places or that place. They said real estate values will not go down. That was wrong. Right. Unequivocally, without question, wrong. And they should be coming out to their base and saying and, and admitting that they were wrong. And if not, apologize to me publicly. Maybe apologize to you. Cheers. Cheers we're to cocktails you. Cocktails for being are, correct. We are celebrating. We are celebrating. Good job, yeah, buddy. Yeah, good job you to look you. Very handsome. Yeah. When you're accurate. You know what I mean. And, and this is a different, you know, based on from market to market. But I saw a report today that shows the median house price in San Francisco has dropped three hundred thousand dollars. 
That's, yeah. That's from April in 2022 was 2 million, just a little bit above $2 million. Now in July of 2022, it's 1.6. Yeah. San Francisco and San Jose really, really impacted. Got hit, got hit pretty hard. Impacted. Yeah. Really, right. really hard. Which, which is kind of surprising when you think about the context of, of who's still there. Right. But the work from home thing, I think, has really had a massive impact for them. But I mean, real estate values aren't going down, right? Yeah. I, well, I don't know if you know this, but California, remember we talked about it went down from 760000 down to seven hundred fifty from, yeah. I think it was June to, or from May to June. Yeah. Well, from June to July, it went down from seven fifty to seven forty. Yeah. I don't know why it's even numbers, but that, that it literally has gone down $10,000 on and on average for the state in the California Right. And California, for the reminder, again, is one of the most supply impacted states in the country. Exactly. So that whole supply and demand argument in and of itself right there, California being a microcosm, not not really effective in arguing. Right. And what really what really sucks are for for these first time home buyers that, you know, this is now people can't afford these houses. Now they got forced to go and, you know, rent somewhere, just making it harder for them to save monthly to, you know, build up that down payment to even buy a home. Oh yeah, especially when in this period where we, I think the last couple of months where people have been bidding for rental properties. Yeah, we've talked about that. That shit's just yeah. fucking crazy. I could never imagine being nervous to move out of your like your parents' house for the first time. If you didn't go to a college living in a dorm or whatever you might be in, whatever, maybe you left the dorms. Mm-hmm. And you're like, all right, I'm gonna get a place. I'm gonna rent a place. And having to like win a place. I mean, that, that New York has that has had that problem for like a long time, and I get that it's probably more normal there, but that hasn't been normal everywhere. Yeah. Can you imagine the stress of that? I haven't heard of that out here. I mean, I was renting out here not too long ago. And I, I mean, I hadn't heard of that at all. Bruh, why are you going to lie to everybody? Not too long ago, you've been a married man with kids living in a home you own for a long ass no, time. No, what do no, you mean a long, long time ago? We what are you lying to? When my wife and I first got married, we had humble beginnings. Bro, how long ago was that? Uh, eight, nine years ago. Okay, that's not, that's not a short ago. time ago, dude. Yeah, yeah. No, but, but I mean, you, we, have, we have friends and family that are still in that space. And I hadn't heard anyone... Mentioned that for the last eight or nine years. Where do you live though? Orange County, South, o- South Orange County. South Orange County is different. Is it? Yeah, South Orange County has never been as population dense as North Orange County. Okay. That's where all the ballers live, you know what I mean? No. <laughs> 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 no, but there's, there's a palpable difference between South Orange County and North Orange County. South Orange County just has um, more construction builds, but less population density and less proximity to some of the things. Some people love that. Those are all attributes they love, but North Orange County has got a little more. Mm. It's kind of like LA versus uh, Ventura. Okay. Right? Not necessarily that, that polar, but... All right. Remember I talked about earlier, Lawrence Usox, National Association of Realtor Chief Economists? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's tell you why. Okay. So, I rarely read an entire post from somebody else on Instagram on the show. I think there's probably no value in that. And I think the casual discourse is good. But this one, this one, this one was good. Did you see this one before you came? No. I just loaded this one. Okay. This is, this is all new to you too? This is all new to me. All right. Your nipple's going to get real hard. <laughs> more, you ready. Okay. So, Compass revises their market share after National, National Association of Realtors changes its math. So, already right there. Let's give a little bit of history here. Compass yeah. is a publicly traded company now. Mm-hmm. And... They've had some economic woes. Their CEOs come out and said that we're not facing challenges. You know, we're, we're well positioned, blah, 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 plenty of cash on hand. But for a publicly traded company to say that they have to change their reported market share, which is an SEC filed document that you and your CEO and your CFO attest to as accurate, true, and pe- true uh, under the penalty of perjury, true mm-hmm. and accurate. After the National Association really just changes its math. Which is something that I've been warning people. You've been warning people. We've been warning people over and over and over again. They do this. This fuzzy math. That's why people who are like keeping current matters, that stupid Instagram page, and everybody who quotes the National Association of Realtors, they just don't see the bias. And, and anybody can take data and, and torture the shit out of it and it will admit to anything after and, time. Yeah, manipulate it however they want to right. paint their agenda. So let's get into the specifics on this particular post. 
the residential real estate world is guilty of some fuzzy math. Within Compass's second quarter earnings report was a note explaining that the firm had lowered its market share estimates for 2020, 2021, and the first quarter of 2022. Mm. The changes, it said, were a result of a change in methodology the National Association of Realtors made in July in order to better account for luxury homes. Mm. Two market analysts pointed the finger squarely at the National Association of Realtors, which is the residential industry's largest trade group. Emphasis Mm. on trade group. With over 1.5 million agent members coughing up nearly $230 million in dues over the first nine months of 2021, according to Real Trends. That's not in there because it's nebulous and not relevant. That's in there to tell you there's an economic reason for them to want to have these realtors continue to give them dues. Right. This goes on and this is where it ends. Great quote. Why are you putting out any information that doesn't stand the test of scrutiny for the reason you don't think anybody reads it? That's simply bad analytic. Analytics. My bad reading practice. Damn it. Analytics Every practice. Time I read in front I mean, of I'll help you, you out, man. It's okay. I'm, hooked I'm, on phonics. I'm so well. I, I, I got your Christmas gift this up year. Until, it's reading <laughs> rainbow, isn't it? I knew it. <laughs> LeVar Burton. I'm going to read this myself. Shut up. Why are you putting out any information that doesn't stand the test of scrutiny for the reason you don't think anybody reads it? Which, by the way, is a bad sentence. Mm-hmm. That's simply bad analytics practice, said Jonathan Miller, CEO of appraisal firm Miller Samuel of National Association of Realtors. Bam. Got it all out. Yeah. Tongue tied that. <laughs> Boom, uh-huh. though. Boom. But his point is well taken. I don't know Jonathan Miller. I don't know his appraisal firm. But what I will tell you is Jonathan Miller is making a whole hell of a lot of sense. Right. right. If you have to reframe your data, what, what, what are you putting out? Right. What exactly. are you doing? You're telling me all of a sudden they, they, didn't, they didn't recognize that, that luxury home prices weren't accounted for? How, yeah. how does that shit happen? Right. And I mean, this is a business clearly studying the analytics, right? That's all they do. That's all, that's all they do. So, what other analytics are they studying? Uh, I would say how much money they're getting in dues and how do you keep people properly motivated to continue to pay you is probably the analytics that they're... Right. And then maybe they're also privy to some layoffs. Oh, God damn. That segue was sexy. Do it one time. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. Maybe they're privy to some layoffs. Do it again. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Look at that. So, I want to put an asterisk on this just because I did make a sexy handoff. That was a lob. That was a great Uh, one. I do that. Don't dish at home. But because we've been very dark about some of the things we've talked about because these conversations are real and unfortunately, whether we like it or not, they're what's happening in the economy. I wish it was going the other way. I think Saeed does too. Yeah, well, 100%. Nobody wants to see anyone lose their job. But um, like we said before, this is what companies are are going to need to do in order to, to fight this problem. You know, maybe we should spend a little bit of time on this. Yeah. So, I think one of the, the, the fundamental disconnects that I, I've seen so many good economists and people that understand business miss was that if you're going to increase the Fed borrowing rate mm-hmm. and have an aggressive or hawkish, as everybody term refers to it, monetary policy, right? and you're going to do this, it's going to change the cost for so many companies to be in business. Combine that in what we believe to be a supply side recession. And even if you don't want to call it a supply side recession, we know the supply chain has challenges right now. Right. It's not over the used car market. We've seen over all the other markets. We, we know that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. So the, the natural and probable outcome of this, as we, you heard even Paul Volcker say in, his, in the previous podcast where we played the quote, is that unemployment goes up. It has to go up. This is a natural byproduct. Yes, exactly. And yet, we were pointing to an unemployment report that's historically low at 3.5%, and we're pointing to real estate, and we're pointing to these lacking indicators, which is why we broke it down to you in the last show. Right. These things are necessary inverse relationships that just have to happen. You cannot get 
the inflation number down without unemployment rising. And we've said that probably every every podcast for the last 10. Yeah, exactly. So we're not trying to be negative. And I, I, it brings me little joy to, to say what we have to say about the unemployment stuff that we're going to talk about in layoffs. But they are real facts and if, you should be aware of them. And if anything, the message that hopefully you can you can take from this is that now is probably not the time to maybe take a risky job opportunity or, you know, maybe stay put, you know. Or do a, a, a lot more analytics before you go into any right. company about what their position is. Like, obviously, if you're going to someplace like Lone Depot, they're going to have a different financial position than somebody like a bank because we know that non-bank lenders have a different capital position than most Right. Thanks to. Just not for for me personally, now wouldn't be the time I'd want to jump at and take a risk. Can you jump at that weight though? Yeah. Oh, I, absolutely. Oh, okay. I'm still tapping glass. I tried the other day. And yeah. I'm Don't be careful, man. You. You're going to blow an Achilles. <laughs> I might. I literally those, tried the other day. With those love handles, you're going to. It was, for those of you who don't know, tapping glass means tapping the backboard a bat, a basketball. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. Touching it. I'm six foot five. I used to be able to jump out the damn building. <laughs> and now. I, I, I honestly, I hit that rubber bottom thing at the bottom of the glass, like the, yeah, little, yeah. Like the foam pad. Yeah. I didn't even hit the glass. I know. So, we, I went not too long ago and I tapped the glass and I just walked out. I walked out of the gym. You're done for the day? I did it. No injuries. <laughs> we out of here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, that, that's I, I won't even go in there. I look like a lost puppy at the door. I won't go in the actual basketball court anymore. Right. I don't feel like I deserve to be in there anymore. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and watch you guys from out here, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so, half, half of all U.S. companies have layoffs in the works, a new survey found. Mm. That is that is a lot of a it's lot scary, of scary, scary times are ahead, and this is slowly starting to trickle trickle down. It is, and and August was a big pivot month, I think, and I think that a lot of people thought that the lagging indicator would be July, and they were really celebratory early. I, I, that was a very very bad call. Mm-hmm. So to finish out the quote from the actual article, half of respondents said they're reducing headcount or plan to, and fifty two percent have implemented hiring freezes. Oh yeah. So, I mean, you're talking Google, you're talking all the tech companies. Definitely the tech industry. They've right. asked for more efficiency from a lot of people. You've seen so many companies kind of mirror this. And on a previous, uh, I, wanna, I don't know if it was in the podcast. It was possibly, I think it was on my social media post. I mentioned Ford as having layoffs. And that was actually a, a slip on my part. Oh. Because I knew what they were planning to do mm-hmm. with some insider information. And I, and I accidentally slipped. Wow. You so, didn't say it on the podcast. I, I don't think I said it on the podcast. Don't I come said, after I, me. I, I it was just it, Yeah. Just, if you sue me personally, not tonight, <laughs> right? Uh, but that being said, uh, Ford had a massive round of layoffs. Yeah. I think it was to eliminate 3,000 jobs globally. Yeah. And it, the Wall Street Journal reported that. So, before we get into that, I want to finish up this, this, this study. So, more than four in 10 employers are rescinding job offers and a similar amount are reducing or eliminating the sign-on bonuses that have become common to attract talent in a tight job market. Oof. So, and that, 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 this is at 3.5% unemployment. Right. right. It's, it's still hard to get people to come and work for you because there's plenty of people who are employed. Right. I mean, how many people who had job offers left their companies and now their offers are being rescinded? Mm-hmm. And to pat ourselves on the back, because you're so astute and financially yeah. complicated. Yeah. <laughs> This is the last bullet point from that same article from Business Week. The findings illustrate the contradictory nature of today's labor market. High five. Good job. Boom. Boom. That was really weird. Where skilled workers can still largely name their teams amid (laughs) talent shortages, even as companies look to let people go elsewhere, particularly in hard hit industries like tech and real estate. Wait, say the last one again. Yeah. Real estate. Oh, is that right? (laughs) I hadn't noticed. Rewind it. Real estate. (laughs) Oh, God. I thought I was bad with the high five. That was worse. You're going to get the lamest opinions today. (laughs) Jesus. 
All right. And as, as uh, Saeed already noted, Ford has confirmed layoffs. Cutting about 3,000 jobs primarily in the U.S. and Canada. Now, I know that the internal workings of Ford has changed uh, quite, a great, quite a great deal in, mm-hmm. in the EV world, kind of leading the way. They've effectively split the, split the company in two different, two different companies. Oh, okay. There'll be like an EV-focused one and a traditional uh, vehicle-focused one. And I would imagine the traditional vehicle-focused one will probably go uh, you know, quietly into the night at some point. Oh, wow. But, uh, you know, it's just it's kind of the nature of the times. But yeah, Ford is in, definitely changing. I think didn't California pass a bill that, you know, after the year 2035, you know, all cars sold have to be electric? Yeah, California was, was somewhat on the forefront. I don't think that's that as impactful as, as the state wants to make it sound because so many manufacturers are leaning this way now anyway. Right. And if you can get, like, so my Rivian's got, like, 400-something miles on mm-hmm. it. When, once it's delivered, it's not delivered, obviously. Yeah. At that range, that makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. Right. So... And then that, another company that noteworthy is Wayfair. Uh, apparently, they're laying off five percent of their global workforce. Yeah, and that that's therein lies another company which is related to real estate, right? So, I mean, what we all get to the same point, right? Yeah. So, so a lot of these companies that have that discretionary consumer spending, mm-hmm. those are the first impacted in every single recessionary cycle, right? Real estate leading the way is, is kind of a curious thing in this, in this economy. It's not unprecedented and not weird, but certainly things that are related to something that's on the forefront of having economic impact, like the real estate market, is going to be impacted too. Right. Who's going to be buying furniture now? Right. You were bought from Wayfair, by the way? Uh, we, have, we have bought a bed frame from there. I feel like it's not as good as Amazon. We haven't had any issues with our with our bed frame, but the the point that I wanted I really wanted to touch on about this was so that it's e commerce company for you know home furniture and all that right driven by analytics. So oh technology got yeah it. I right? got that. I got that driven by analytics right you know what their CEO said and driven forward I, there's a lot of there's a lot of corollaries there yeah yeah our team is too large for current for the current environment that was the CEO of Wayfair there, that is effectively the statement that most CEOs are making I mean think about that I mean. They're privy to all the analytics, right? And they have, they're trying to get ahead of this thing, just like you mentioned previously. So, I think there's only more to come. Well, yeah. And that goes to, to kind of the point that we made, like, I can't remember how many episodes ago that it was, that human capital is one of the places that a lot of these companies, from a pure business perspective, can save money. Mm-hmm. Humans letting people go because they staffed up a lot when people had stimmies and they were you know, flush with cash and Brian, Brian Moynihan was right about everybody having tons of money. Right. Well, that's changed. Mm-hmm. That's changed dynamically. And as a result of that, these companies are, are just doing what they have to do. Now, someone like Lone Depot who's trading so low at 163, trading on their wholesale division, uh, I don't think is enough right now. Mm-hmm. And if the Fed continues to be hawkish and increases Fed, the Fed funds borrowing rate by 75 basis points, I think there's a problem there. Now... Which I heard, I think... Um, so the the people that actually vote on that it's consisted of like twelve members, right? The, the FOMC, yeah, yeah, the FOMC is consisted of twelve members, and uh, one of those members was speaking out re- recently. Uh, I don't so like on, they do this now. Yeah, it bothers me that like, why is yeah. everyone they they want their name out there? They want they want to talk about it, get ahead no, of it. No, Jerome right? Powell was a big advocate of being more communicative as the as the Fed chair, so he's actually making a cognizant a cognizant effort, which of, I can appreciate. Which I can appreciate, right? To get out in front of the camera, I mean that takes that takes guts. It, it kind of sounds like you don't appreciate it. No, you. no, I appreciate it. I mean, it's not, it's not an easy job. We've said that it's not an easy job. I know we we take shots we take shots at him, and it, what never? Yeah, but it's not an easy job. But these. People People that have, I guess, voting rights and voting powers on this. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's 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 a tough gig, man. Paul Volcker, I think, summarized the stress well in the, in this conversation 
mm-hmm. that we listened to last episode. Right. And Ray Dalio's in there, you know, asking him simple questions about how how did you do this? And the reason why the reason why is it's really stressful. You have the entire country's monetary position in your pocket. Right. And one of these members that has voting powers apparently said that he's leaning more towards 75 basis points. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a big... Con- I don't know if you saw the stock market today. The stock market took a, a pretty significant dip. Mm-hmm. And the, the post that I made, I want to say it was last night, was that there's a big Fed meeting this week. Okay. And this is not a Fed meeting when they come out with a Fed interest rate increase. Right. But because the, the Fed and all of its members are, are being more communicative, people are worried about the commentary and they're, they're trying to gauge where that's going to come out. So, I knew that the market was going to have some turmoil this week, largely, especially the treasuries, I think are going to have more of it as the week goes on because they're worried about what the communication is going to be from right. these people getting together and having a conversation. Right. right. And then, so, I mean, to piggyback on this a little bit further, um, I did some more research on the Fed. And remember, not too long ago, you and I, we talked about how the Fed and, and their quantitative tightening, how they wanted to take out money out of the market. It was mm-hmm. $47.5 billion a month for the months of June, July, and August. Right. And they were going to ramp that up to about $95 billion a month. Last as I of checked, September. there wasn't a material impact to the balance sheet. Yeah, man. That's exactly right. So, it's, as of right now, from June, July into where we are now in August, it sh- they should have removed about $110 billion. Yeah. Last I checked, they didn't do anything. Not yeah, it was only... No, I mean, on, so far, they only removed $47.5 billion. There were several weeks where they printed a shit ton of money. Keep in mind, the Inflation Reduction Act printed a whole hell of a lot of money. A whole lot. So, they've only removed $47.5 billion over the course of, you know, two and a half months, mm-hmm. where it should have been $110 billion. So, mm-hmm. like we said, you know, quantitative tightening hasn't even fully, you know, taken full effect yet. I think in September is, is when they're really going to start pushing it. Allegedly. I mean, Allegedly. Keep in mind, the results we're getting now should have been significantly higher. And what they're... And more than double. Right. More than double. And the way they, they, they kind of saved themselves was... Back in May when they released that report on what they were going to do is everything was said as we could go up to $47.5 billion a month. And I think what they're really afraid of clearly is the stock market. They don't want to affect the stock market too much. Because you got to think with the... I yeah, think see, that, that, that bothers me because if you're the Fed, that should not be a consideration. No, it, should, it, I mean, it, sh- it shouldn't, right? Because the stock market and I, I guess if you want to look at it from the perspective that most people have 401ks and retirement and that money's typically held in the stock market. There's Mm going to be some impacts there, but your job is monetary policy, right? right? Controlling inflation and jobs. Mm -hmm. You're doing great on one of them, bro. Right. The other one is an inverse relationship. That's the sick irony. The Mm -hmm. balance of those two is not easy because you increase one, it it causes problems to the other one. Right. I mean, when all those stimmies were printed out at the beginning of the pandemic, or around in the pandemic. But the, but the Fed wasn't consulted. That wasn't the Fed's decision. That wasn't consulted by them. They had no involvement in that. But now they should have. I get it. The, the, the money's going out, pandemic, you're, you're there. But they waited a year too long. Yeah. In 2021, their first part of the year, they should have been like, all right, we're coming out of this. Let's do something. But there's political ramifications to doing that. But then that's the but they, Fed yeah, but screwing they sh- up. Yeah, they shouldn't have, you know. They shouldn't have thought about that then. And they shouldn't right. be thinking about the stock market now. The right. stock market will be okay. If people... There are a lot of people who are out there who are like, oh my God, man, oh, the market's going to crash, man. If the Fed doesn't back off interest rates. Um, and a number of social media economists and influencers have told me, you know, I believe that the Fed, they, they truly believed at the beginning of this year that the Fed was going to back off of monetary policy by the end of the year and that rates going to go back down because they'd be forced to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here thinking like, what the hell makes you think the Fed's going to be forced to do it? And they're like, well, you know, because the market's going to crash. Right. People throw the word crash around a lot. Yeah. 
What the fuck does that even mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, the way the way I think of it, is, and now correct me if I'm wrong. Right? You're wrong. I'm wrong. So You're if wrong. all the all these all these stimmies during the pandemic, right, boosted boosted the the stock market up at approximately like sixteen percent. Well, at its core, it boosted the American consumer's ability to buy right. and frequency with which they were buying. Right. So, now you start to take money out of the system. Mm-hmm. What is that going to do to the stock market? Of course. Yeah. No, it's yeah. a fundamental correction. It's just, yeah. it's just going to it's going to correct. Not to say it's going to crash and then it's never going to recover. It always ends up recovering, right? Well, yeah. And that, that's the part about life, right? It's ebbs and flows. It's just balance. I mean, if you look at the sine wave that is economic history, it, it's up and it's down, but... Again, people are very resistant to the ideology that things go up and down. Right. And you have to look into the people's bias. People in the market, they want you to keep your money in the market and not pull it out and go someplace else because they make money on their assets under management. Exactly. Real estate investors and professionals want values to go up all the time and they believe the solution to that is that rates should be lower. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they believe that you should cut rates because that, that's what they want you to do so they right. can keep their values high. There is an... There's an unnatural bias in almost every single person that does this for a living. In some ways, myself included. I love real estate, clearly. Yeah. I take no joy in the fact that I think value is going to go down, except for the fact that I need to buy a house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> selfish son of a bitch that I am. But look, it's, it's one of those things where you have to, you have to be kind of cognizant of what people's perspectives are and, and what it is that they're, they're around. There, there is confirmation bias in who you hang out with. Mm-hmm. So, all these people in the stock market, they get confirmation bias from their homies in the market. Right. Very, very, very rarely does somebody who's a heavy stock investor hang out with somebody who's a heavy real estate investor. Mm. They tend to, humans are tribal. We roll in tribes and we don't want to hear the other side's opinion because we don't get along with that opinion. Right. Exactly. That's why two poor assholes like us who aspire to be real estate investors can hang out and be on a podcast. Don't do that. Don't. (laughs) Poor asshole. Get out of here. I'm not a poor you're just, you're just celebrating the other day how you're not going to get out of it. <laughs> I did too. That was the last podcast. Yeah, glad you listened to it. Uh, well, I, I was, it's funny. We think about income in, in the context of, of wealth, but I saw, as stupid as this might be, a reel on social media and the guy was saying that he made $1.5 million a year gross. <laughs> and his, after W-2, uh, his wages got taxed. He got, and he lives in California. Yeah. He got taxed about 49.5%. God damn. So, he he took home a little over 700 grand, which is granted a lot of money. A lot of money, right. But it's a significantly higher tax rate than most people pay. Right. I can relate to that pain. It's not fun. Right. It's not fun at all, man. There are several times a year where I'll get significant checks that, that... you get excited about and then you realize you get about 50% of that money. Right. Exactly. That's a lot of money out of your pocket. It's a lot of money out of your pocket. And I mean, you, you have to think about this, right? And think to yourself when these conversations start getting floated about, you know, tax the rich more, you know, increase taxes. Okay. You've already shown me you don't know how to manage the budget uh-huh. when, I, when I'm being taxed this much. True. So, what makes me believe you'll be able to manage it better even if you tax me more? They won't. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. Haven't, they, have, they don't have a proven track record. So, that's the part that bothers me, right? Eh. I mean, it, it's... I try not to obsess on it. I look at it like this. These are the rules of the game. You can play the rule the game, by the way, the rules that are meant to be played by or you cannot. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of people who have gotten successful playing the game within the rules. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and change the way I'm taxed. I'm not going to sit here and change the way that 
business happens. But I can change my tax basis by making strategic decisions in things like real estate. Exactly. That change my 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 tax basis that way. It's mm-hmm. not going to impact me on a W-2 level, but it means all that auxiliary money that I make is taxed at a completely different basis. Right. Uh, this is why real estate investment trusts are such a cool thing. Right. right? What, yeah. Whether whether you, you like it or you don't, I mean, the rules are the rules and you can choose to, you know, capitalize on it or continue to get fucked. Only I like it. <laughs> so, we did have some questions on social media. I wanted to I, ask you. I yeah. yeah. You actually didn't bring it up before we got here. So, I've got a number of them. These are actually surprisingly pointed and detailed questions and I, I don't, I don't even... I don't even know if we can answer all of them. There, there, there are some pretty, pretty detailed questions. That we'll take out, we'll take out, take out the first one, your, your favorite one. Take out the first one, my favorite one. I have no favorites. You know how this works. Come on, one of the five listeners. One of the five listeners. Okay. Hopefully, one of those five listeners left us a five star review. <laughs> we've got over a hundred now. Have you seen, yeah, have you yeah, seen yeah. recently? We've gotten. Uh, yeah. Thanks, uh, everybody. A pretty decent amount of, of, of stuff on here. So I'm checking the archive. Hold on one second here. We do this via social media, via Instagram. So if you don't follow, uh, you're missing out. But you know that's okay. You hate us, it's fine. <laughs> All right. So question number one: How long before this economy hits the new car market? Mm. So I think the question here is: Is how long before car new new car prices start going down? I think it's going to be a little bit of time because there's a supply chain issue, right? And and this is one of the rare instances where the supply and demand argument actually has some validity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are more people who are trying to buy right now. Now, I think people who are trying to buy are going to go away over time. Right. But there's such a limited supply of vehicles. Uh, to give you an idea, I went by a couple of different dealerships this weekend, just happened to drive somewhere, and the lots looked empty. Like, I thought they were closed. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think you got some time there. I think you probably got six to nine months before you see a dent uh, in, in the market. And right. some of these luxury brands are going to hold on to their markups for even longer. Right. I might, I'll actually go a step further and I'll predict 12 to 18. 12 to 18. Yeah, yeah. There, might, there might be some truth to that. I, I think you're going to start seeing some softening on some like the base model and stuff like that. But like yeah. the, the, the exotic car market's already seen this. Like the, the people who are out there buying that kind of stuff. But I think the there's more demand in general for the Mercedes-Benzes, the BMW, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Those cars are going to move fast for an extended period of time. So maybe maybe even 12 to 18 months. Yeah. I know. I mean, it's, there's still that whole chip shortage issue that they haven't solved yet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's that's a... They've gotten around that by just removing the features and, op- and options. I think that's that's kind of hilarious to me. But uh, right. I, I, if I were if it were me, I would not be buying a new car for at least a year. Meanwhile, I don't know if you saw. I think it was today or was it yesterday? Tesla increased the prices on their self driving options. Fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Damn. I once had the option to buy that for like three thousand, and I didn't do it. I would never feel safe doing that. Yeah, we just don't. We don't even use the the. We have the other self driving one, like that's not the full like stop stoplight stop self driving, but yeah. we have the one that you know drives itself on the freeway and everything else. Yeah. We never use it. I would never feel comfortable. Yeah, I only use Especially it when, when you have kids hand. in the car. Come on. Yeah, no, I get that. So. All right. Um, is it a good time to buy a rental property for passive income? Mm. Yes. It's always a good time to buy a rental property for passive income, except it has to make money on day one. If you're getting into a property with a potential upside investment, if you're, if you're making uh, a purchase for the ability to go in there, remodel it, and then re-rent it out at higher, higher rental rates, I would say that's probably a bit of a risky endeavor right now. We've seen uh, some rental rates skyrocket recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, areas like Florida, uh, New York have had some pretty pretty insane rises. Those are going to come down with time, especially in markets where there's no rent control, which is the majority of markets, in, unfortunately, in the United States. Right. So as a result of that, uh, I would say if it doesn't cash on day one. Now, me personally, I, I look for um, I used to look for a minimum of two hundred fifty dollars a month in free cash flow. Now it's 
four to 500 bucks a month is kind of worth my time. Anything less than that, I'm not really sure it's worth it. Mm -hmm. It's been incredibly harder for me to find a, a property that meets that criteria now. Right. Just because the cost of borrowing has gone up because home values have gone up and all of the challenges that everybody else already knows about. So I've taken uh, a bit more time to pause. Right. And I'm waiting to see where values go. Uh, I'm getting some of my properties re-rented up to market rents right now and increasing that cash flow and focusing on refining the portfolio. But I do have ambitions of doubling my portfolio in the next 12 to 18 months. Wow. So uh, that, I think that it's always a good time to buy. At the end of the day, it it's, a ca- it's a cash flow. Yeah, it's, it's got a, a cash flow it's on a, day one. It's a cash flow question more so yeah. than anything. And just a little bit more of my personal philosophy on this is I don't ever really plan on selling anything. I mean, yeah. I might 1031 exchange or something like that. But so my, my focus is not on the equity growth. My focus is on solely on cash flow. How much cash on cash return can I get? And if I can get that on day one or if I can get that finding a property, I don't really give a shit when I'm paying for it. Right. Uh, 75k saved up currently don't own a house but want to buy in the next two years where do you put the 75k mm. right now you hold on to your cash right well there are some a number of banks right now that are FDIC insured banks and 75k is below the uh, individual uh, insurance Oof. amount right yeah so you can put that into really some some banking relationships maybe like a CD or something like that and get you know maybe in some cases I want to say like 2% if not more mm-hmm so there's plenty of, of safe bets like that. If you're looking to make more money on your money, I would say that's not what I would typically do. If mm-hmm. I'm planning on buying something in real estate, I have it allocated for that and I don't typically invest that money per se. Mm-hmm. I think the, the market volatility right now is not ideal. And if the market goes the way that we think that it will, it's probably going to go down. You could bet on something like uh, precious metals like gold or silver or something like that that mm-hmm. you think might have an inverse relationship to the market and traditionally has. But if you're planning on buying a home in the next two years, why lock that money up in something where you're going to have to pay capital right. gains? And I think we've mentioned it on previous podcasts where consistently reassess the market every, you know, every three, three months, months yeah. right? So right now there's, you know, there's so much uncertainty in the market. If you can and you're able to stay where you are, maybe hold off, reassess in a couple months and see where everything's at. Right. So I think you put that money to work either in, well, I do have an alternative theory here. You're saying you're looking to buy a home. In the next two years, you have 75K saved up. You could find an investment property in the Midwest, put thirty dollars or $45,000 into it, let that property cash flow for you, increase your personal cash flow while you're continuing to save to recoup that position to about 75K to get into whatever property you want to. Right. That might also be an alternative idea. Uh, you could technically buy two investment properties for that if you can hold off and, and wait. And why would anybody do that? I'll give you a great example. If you were to go into a, a property that you purchase, yes, you'll be making money on equity over time, but your cash flow would actually be better if you had two investment properties paying you, let's say, 250 bucks a month. That's $500 a month in your pocket. Now, free cash flow. You could actually afford more home if you can continue to save up another $75,000. So, right. So, real quick, though, you mentioned FDIC insured. Mm. <laughs> that wasn't even an intentional segue. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Look, look at me go. Look at you go, finally. Nostradamus. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I don't know if anyone's been paying attention to the news. The FDIC sent cease and desist letters to five crypto companies to stop making misleading claims about whether crypto assets have federal deposit insurance support. Mm-hmm. So, by law, if you don't know, FDIC only insures banking deposits such mm-hmm. as cash and cash equivalents and those held in checking savings and money market accounts held at banks with FDIC insurance. So I've got to be real, real sensitive around this topic. Yeah. I've got, I've got be careful. business positions in a lot of these things. So what I will say is 
there, there's a distinct difference between a bank having a buy, sell, hold platform where you're basically buy, selling, and holding vis-a-vis their interface, but it is not a bank product. They're just showing you in your bank account or your online access to your mobile application or your website what that information is. Mm-hmm. But you are truly working through somebody else. Mm-hmm. So there is an argument that... It is somewhat misleading, mm-hmm. but the disclosures are all there. These particular disclosures were on the the actual site that does the interface. Right. So those and those five sites are FTXUS, mm-hmm. CryptoNews.com, yeah, CryptoSEC.info, yes, SmartAsset.com, probably my favorite, yeah, and FDICCrypto.com. So, I would also like to take a moment to pause here and say that Saeed clearly has a death wish with the crypto bros. This is on him. I love crypto. I'm, I'm still, a, a, no, no, I'm still diamond hands. I'm holding till I go. I got doge. But maybe but maybe uh, do the listeners a little solid by telling them, explain what a cease and desist letter is. Uh, basically, a letter from them saying, you better stop this or we're going to find the shit out of you. Yeah, 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 exactly. And they will find the shit out of them. So, right. this, in this case, it sounds a lot much more inflammatory than it is. The cease and desist letter basically goes out and saying, hey, look, you better, you better do this and make sure that it's clear. Uh, they could have gone a lot harsher by trying to assess fines or penalties or sue or something like that. And keep in mind, these are not SEC regulated companies, so fines and penalties would arguably be stupid and not mm-hmm. real. But certainly litigation can, can result. And that's why you start with a cease and right. desist letter. And in this report, I found out that I didn't know this. Um, this is according to Bankrate. You do have a death wish. Nearly 60 million Americans owned some form of cryptocurrency last year. Yeah, but like two coins of Doge don't count. Yeah, but goddamn, 60 million? Mm-hmm. What the fuck, man? Yeah, man. Dude, there were so many people for such a long period of time saying, you got to get in, you know, Doge to the moon, man. <laughs> like Bitcoin's at 21,000. Like this is from the guy that loves crypto. Yeah, look, I, look I, like, I like Web3. Yeah, yeah. Which I know you're still trying to figure out what that is. Yeah, no, uh, I will not try to yeah. figure out what <laughs> but, it is. But uh, I still think there's a tremendous amount of value in the blockchain. I think that crypto is overstated and it's going through a bit of a renaissance. But there will be something there in its place at some point in time in the future. And what that looks like, I don't know. Yeah. It's all good, bro. No, it's all good, bro. Just got a death wish. <laughs> all right. Uh, biggest challenge being a landlord? Oh, that's a good question. It's an easy answer. Being a landlord. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Being sensitive, being sensitive to, I'm assuming, uh, people's issues and. For me, it's it's I, I I always try to be somewhat emotionally responsible to the tenants. Mm-hmm. So if someone's going through divorce or somebody has a hard time, I generally try to accommodate them to the extent that I can, even if that means sacrificing money. Mm-hmm. But every single fucking time I've done that, it's bit me in the ass. Mm. Because you're never going to, it's funny because the, the drama that makes you want to be sympathetic mm-hmm. is the same thing that makes you a secondary position to the drama in their life. Right. So you never, you never get a good result as a landlord that way. It's a bad way to start off a relationship. And I tend to do it repeatedly. So, you know, somebody, I, I, not everybody's bit me in the ass. I mean, some people have definitely been, you know, unique, but it, it's more rare than not that somebody going through a hard time actually is good to your property and is a good tenant. Okay, so then I have a question for you. Um, no, you're with, not. A, you're not, a, you're not yeah, on social media. Yeah, I'm one of our five listeners. I listen. Yeah, because you have to be on social media to ask you questions. That's, that's, <laughs> no, the, that's no. the premise. <laughs> so with mortgage rates being where they are, and affordability just not being there, right? Mm-hmm. What What do you think is going to need to happen in order to ease up on the rents for the, these renters that are out there? 
Well, I, I think that it's already happening. Uh, the spikes up and everything else. These these are kind of delayed reporting. Mm-hmm. Just how the National Association National Association of Realtors has changed their their data and their reporting and their to tone. better capture things right. and their tone and have some revised reports. I think we're going to see some revisions there as you start to see rental rates go the other way. And that really scares me because for them to go the other way so quickly is going to have an impact. So for those of you who don't know, commercial real estate, especially multifamily apartment houses, the the value of the property is largely focused on the income approach to value. Mm-hmm. That, that really means how much money you can generate. That's, yeah, the primary emphasis. Which means there's going to be, there's going to be some pretty significant value changes if it does go the other way. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's already happening. I've already started to see appraisals come back lower. I've already started to see appraisers arguing with uh, originators about the idea of what market rent could be. I mean, I've seen a number of, of properties bought in the last year or two where people are saying, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and increase the rents. And appraisers are going like, no, mm-hmm. you're already at, I mean, dog park ain't going to make that happen, chief. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there, there's, there's plenty of that going around. So, I'm already seeing that on the front lines. Uh, and and I, it's sad to say where we're at now, but as you start having more unemployment, as you start having all these challenges, it's going to continue to be a problem. And the affordability issue, buying a home and the supply of homes in the market that are really aimed at luxury properties, which is where a lot of the, the bills are coming from, they're not affordable housing at all. Mm-hmm. That is going to be a perpetual problem. Yeah, I wish I had an easy answer for you there. It's not. It's not going to go away overnight, and it's certainly not going to be something that anybody has any interest in fixing until you have more government involvement. Unfortunately, the government doesn't want to be involved in this. Right. There's a reason why there's not a national rent control, and there's a reason why when I, I pull people on social media about their their perspective on rent control, most people don't want that. Well yeah. over sixty percent. Yeah. Well, I heard. I recently watched a, a video too on um, your boy Valuetainment. What's his name? Patrick Bet David. Yeah, Patrick, that's your boy, right? My boy. Uh, yeah, and he uh, he was saying this is ultimately going to just drive people out of, out of these states like California. I think that's probably true, and right. I think that that's uh, likely happening right now. But I, I don't. I think that the exodus has been highly overstated. Right. I think there's a, a number of states where where the influx has caused some problems, but there, there's all the reshuffling of a population is not a bad thing. If all these people leave California and they go to Texas or they go to Florida or Tennessee, mm-hmm. good, good. Yeah. I mean, how many, how long has California, Florida, New York, and Texas been like these major dense population states? Right. So, to see people branch out of places like Utah and Idaho, great. I don't see a problem here. People like, I like Patrick Bet David, but he's an extremist in a lot of ways. Mm. Like, he, he says things, I think... He truly believes, but he says them because there's also some cachet to the extremeness of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's a whole lot of whole lot of value in that. Really changing things. Now, California's not got a lot of political problems in and of itself. That you would say there's not a whole lot of value in valuetainment. No, no. I, uh, there's plenty of value in valuetainment. I actually am a, I'm a big fan, but yeah. I, I think there's not a whole lot of value in in taking the extremeness of his opinions to, to with a grain of I mean, with a hundred percent face value. Right. Sometimes he's saying stuff because he knows he pushes the envelope. There's some clicks there. Yeah, I mean, it made it, it made a lot of sense to me. I mean, I mean, with wages being where they are, you know, and the masses being, you know, not high income earners, there's only one way to go. You got to get, you probably are going to get at least forced, you know, inland and then ultimately 10, 15 years from now, probably forced out. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't, I don't think it's that, that bad because every population needs workers. Mm-hmm blue collar workers 
migrant workers. You need people who are doing things that, that the rich people, people just don't These people are sold on do. the American dream, man, of owning a home and... I mean, I mean, yeah, workers, I, I agree, but with... Yeah, and that's, that's, that's the problem with California, right? You're going to drive out all the people who do the real work. Yeah, Then exactly. you're not going to want to live here as a rich person, let me tell you. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the way this works, is, mm-hmm. is you want to drive out the affordability. Well, if you do that, you're going to have a really miserable existence because you're not going to have anybody who's going to give you the things that you want and need. Right. You want to go to the grocery store, that person behind the, the counter, he or she, they need... Right. A, a suitable lifestyle to want to live here. Yeah, absolutely. And if they don't want to live here anymore, very, and it's very well deserving too. Yeah, dude, the fucking front lines. I'll never forget going to the grocery store when I had, when during the pandemic. Yeah. How fucking scary it was. And to see them with like masks on, with gloves on, behind plexiglass, checking groceries, I was like, fuck, man, like this person, this person's got more balls than me right now. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Frontline shit. Yeah. Nurses during yeah. that time? Oh, yeah. Nurses exactly. are not historically well paid. Imagine Teachers? Oh, I, know. I mean, some of the kids stayed home from school. They started doing remote stuff. But I mean, if you were a teacher and you're in the classroom, God damn, that's scary. Same about, are, what are you about the people, are, people working at the urgent cares? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. So It, it was nutty. Let's go on to more, less uh, dark topics and more questions. This one coming from Hayden at work. What's up, bro? <laughs> Captain America in the house. Uh, should everyone have a mentor at work? Bro, just... Just say, just say you want this. Like, I got you. Like, why you, would you, you want some mentorship? Don't put yeah. foot around this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you find the right one to help you your growth? I mean, does he have a podcast? Is, yeah. that, is that is that kind of like the, the intro question? It's, it's like, can I be your Wolverine? Like, what are we talking about here? Uh, um, look, man, I got to tell you, every mentor I've ever had did not know that he or she was a mentor. Yeah, that, that's actually really good. I think we, we pervert the 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 ideology of a mentor with today's paid programming and like let me pay you to be a mentor and let me pay you for this and take me under my wing and there's a number of people who hit me up on a daily basis literally asking will you be my mentor and it's like i'm already doing that by talking to you yeah you're just not taking the opportunity by trying to formalize a relationship right i mean what what is it's not going to hurt you to ask any question no right? I, look i respond to everybody and if you ask me a question i might not be I mean, at any given day now, I've got like, what is my technology account? 47 right now, I'm behind. Mm-hmm. Looking at my computer. Yeah. <laughs> 47 and 17 emails. That's actually not bad. I was down 200 something emails. This guy doesn't even read my text messages. No, I do. I just don't respond to them. Yeah, There's yeah. a difference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've gotten to the point now where there's just too many messages, especially when you include social media. It, it's a, And I do respond to everybody with time, but it mm-hmm. takes me a long enough time. But here's the way I look at this. Like, if we're in communication, you have every opportunity for us to be like, you, for me to be a mentor on some level. Now, I'm not saying I'm the guy for someone like this or whatever, but what I'm saying is, is your network of people should include people that motivate you. Yeah, absolutely. And as a result, some of those people will be a mentor to you, mm-hmm. but there, there's very few relationships in life where somebody identifies themselves as your mentor, you're their mentee, and that their, their entire energy is put into you. That's right. a dad. Right. I mean, this is coming from now, coming from someone on the other side who I was, you know, for the large part of my working career, the mentee. Um, to who? To Sarah, yeah, Helen. Sarah. I know Helen's listening Sarah's to this. Sarah's taught me probably more than I've taught her. Um, and I know Sarah doesn't listen, but I know Helen does listen and she has Helen helped. doesn't listen. Yeah, she does. She listens to it's every single every episode. Every single episode? Really? Every single episode. It might take her a while. I know she's, it's been taking her a week to listen to the Adam episode, but she tries to get through it them It is all. a two-hour episode. Yeah, it is a two-hour yeah. episode. But I mean... The way I, the way I went about it is I was very open and honest. I'm not I'm not shy to admit what I know and what I don't know. 
And when you can overcome that and just ask questions and be open and honest with yourself and what you know and what you don't know, people will be willing to help. Now, I do feel very lucky. I don't know if everyone's going to be as lucky as I was, but if you can surround yourself around the you know like-minded people, there are people out there that are willing to help. I'm going to forego the obvious they lost jokes and fat jokes there that I'm going to let that go. <laughs> but I'm going to ask you the question because I don't think the audience knows. There was a point in time where you were in law school. I was in law school, right. And you called me, who at the time was not a licensed practicing attorney. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, man, like, I don't, I don't know that I'd do it again. And I was very down on it. Yeah. And, and this is after I completed the first year. Yeah. And then you stepped, up, stepped away from law school. I stepped away from law school. So, actually, this is, this is a really good story. Um, I just had completed my first year of law school. I was on the verge of getting engaged to my now wife. Mm-hmm. And if there was ever a time that solidified my reasoning to marrying my wife was I went to her and I asked her, because I never, to be God honest, I never thought that I'd meet someone as amazing as my wife. I'm not you're, trying to get Muslim. any. Can you say God <laughs> honest? <laughs> yeah, Allah honest, right? <laughs> yeah. But I'm, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to gain any brownie points. Once I found the yes. right person for me. Yeah, you are. Or, no, I'm not. Once I found the right person for me, I knew that I wanted to be a family man. I wanted to be known for the good husband that I am and the good father that I can be, right? So, I went to her and I had this conversation. It was a hard conversation. After the first year of law school, the hardest year right um and i said hey i don't know if i want to do this anymore for the record i didn't find the first year to be the hardest on second year. really okay from most from most people that i heard that you don't have to take that away from me man come on I i'm just trying no, no, the, the first year is the easiest what an topic. asshole you are topics, dude but it's the yeah. hardest workload yeah well you're getting you're getting uh, adjusted and acclimated to the new what do new I, I was drunk most of the time anyway. it's fine. <laughs> yeah and then she told me, if you're not happy, go find something else and we'll find a way to make it work. Mind you, this is like on the eve of us getting engaged. So, you're telling me I'm an asshole. Yeah, yeah. You are an asshole. Yeah, your parents it's, hated me for a long no, time. No, I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't think they hated you. Um, they but severely did not like me. They didn't know. They didn't know that we, you and I had the conversation. I never, I never told them that. That's a lie. No. I That's not true. They no, hated me, bro. No, no, no. They, they hated me. No, Come on, didn't. stop. No, Why you, you're going to lie to all five of our listeners right now? <laughs> no, no, they never hated you, man. Come on. But, um, and then sure enough, you know, I landed, I landed, landed a job um, at the bank and, you know, found the right mentors to bring it back full circle. Mm. And Look at you staying on track. Yeah, look at me. Yeah. Well, best I can do for you, Captain America. Let's go on to another one. How do I find good four units to buy and rent out? Um, uh, a total, I am a total newbie and I work full time. Wife can help. Okay. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. Okay. So I have tried a, a myriad of ways to get my wife involved. I'll be honest. I didn't understand the question. You, you were mumbling. You need reading rainbow again. I don't know what's going on. It was well, cause he had limited space to ask a question. So he like, there was like a lot of like abbreviation. <laughs> Fuck you. How do I find a good four unit to property to buy and rent out? I'm a total newbie and I work full time. My wife could possibly help. Could possibly help. I'm, well, that's not there. I'm adding it there to make it sound articulate for you, you okay. asshole. Okay. okay. You feel good about that? They only got 140 characters. Do you characters understand the fucking question okay. now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wife could possibly help. Okay. Yeah. So, here's a problem that I've had. I've tried to get my wife involved in the real estate business. She has a, she's actually a licensed real estate agent now. She works under the brokerage, which mm-hmm. is Congratulations, awesome. Joanna. Yeah. But there, there's something to be said for if your wife's not passionate about it, she's not going to want to help. Start mm-hmm. there. Okay. Because she's not passionate about it, she's not going to have the same energy that you will. Now, my sister, who runs the franchise in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. is passionate as shit about this. She's actually where most of my real estate investments come from because she knows exactly what I want. She knows 
effectively what I, what I need from it from a return perspective. And she's equally as passionate about it as I am. So let's start there. If she's not passionate about it, she's not going to be able to help you out. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. You know, maybe she's more of uh, the design. Maybe she's more of the rented out person. Maybe she's more of the take care of the finance person. There's plenty of ways a spouse can help you. Right. So, uh, I would, you, if you want to look for a four unit property, it's great. You're looking for a multifamily uh, property. It's not, not, not going to get multifamily pricing and loan packages. You want something like single family leverage. Great. A lot of people start there. Uh, in this particular market, it's very, very difficult to find them within a reasonable value that you can rent it out and make money on it right particularly in california i don't know where you live but that being said uh i've got my last couple properties too off market i told local real estate agents in the area that i was looking for properties and i called up a lot of people my sister literally was talking to clients and the last two were off market people calling me wow Adam and us talked about this in the, on the, the podcast with, uh, with him there where, you know, you build those rapports, relationships, the truest form of currency. You don't have the time to search the market and scour the market for deals. Yeah. But you have the time to build relationships with people who do that for a living. Right. And put the people in place to, you know, handle these things for you. So, make finding a good realtor in your area who specializes in investment real estate, particularly single family, one to four, and... Find somebody whose who's focus is going to be that and just remind them, if you come across something, I want to be that guy. Right. I think uh, a lot of gestures will go a long way in building a relationship, like giving them their, your financials, letting them see your cash flow, letting them see that things are going to need in order to pre-qualify you anyway, mm-hmm. gives them a certain degree of comfort level with your commitment moving forward. Right. Absolutely. Then you tell them exactly what you need from a property. I need it to cash flow day one. But mm-hmm. don't bring me a deal that I have to go into and make an equity play or I have to, you know, to kind of reposition it. I want to know that I can make money on day one or that I can rent it out in the not distant future and make money. Right. If your real estate agent is good, they will come to you with that analysis ahead of time. That's exactly what Adam wants. He wants it in his own spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly what he wants. Once you command that relationship, you close it like one or two deals, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna flood to you. Right. You, get, you get them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because now people know that you're going to execute on the things you say you're going to do. Exactly. That's where I get most of my deals these days. And frankly, most of them are not even listed because they know that I'm the guy who will come to the market and close my deal. Right. This is what Chris likes. This is what he's going to buy. Let's offer it to him first. Great. And of course, I do always pay people more money. Right. That's kind of my thing. Like, so if you were to get... You got to pay people what they're worth, right? They have it. They're providing you a value. Yeah. So if you were going to get a a listing fee on... I'm going to find a way to comp everybody fairly. Mm -hmm. The one thing I've never wanted to do is I've never negotiated a real estate agent's salary. Right. I've never negotiated that down. Now, keep in mind, I'm a broker. I'm a realtor, all that stuff myself. Which was very common the last, I don't know, 10 years. Yeah. I don't... I'll never negotiate it down. I might negotiate it up. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm never going to pay you less than, than what I think you, you, you're worth. And I'm never going to cut you down for bringing me a good deal. Right. The idea is not to make so that you make less money. The idea is that you make more money, but mm-hmm. we go through less stress and bidding. Anything else. Exactly. Uh, and I'm happy to explain further should you have any more questions. There's a couple more here I think are interesting. Um, how do you ensure you pass on the same hustle and drive that made you to your kids? Oh, wow. Take it away, Saeed. How do you ensure you pass on the same hustle and drive? Well, that that's tough, right? Because um, I've actually had this conversation with um, some mentors, if you will, mm-hmm. um, not too long ago, and it's the only the only parenting advice or experience that I have are through my parents, right? 
And I'm not raising my kids in the same similar situation as I was raised. So I can't parent them the exact same way. Right? You don't want to though, do you? I don't know. I there's some things that I do and there's some things that I don't. Okay. Um and I mean, yeah, my it, it it would be hard for my dad to transfer that same hustle and drive. For instance, my dad and mom were both, they came over here from Afghanistan, typical immigrant story, a couple hundred dollars in their pocket, they found a way to eventually buy a home in Orange County, and my dad runs a successful, you know, auto shop, and, you know, my mom worked for 30 plus years in cosmetics, and they, they did very well. I mean, now they had they had to. How I how I trans how they transfer that over to me and how I can transfer that over to my son is difficult. I mean, you have to put them in position, right, to show them what it feels like to work for something and and gain it. I've taken the approach that that um, despite the fact that we can afford some very nice, luxurious things, that I don't go overboard to do them and. The flashy lifestyle that I think my wife and I could lead, we don't appreciate because we know that that money is going towards things that will give us a lifestyle later that we want. And the proverbial upside to that is, is my son doesn't see Rolexes. He doesn't see, you know, first class flights, although my wife and I do take them when we fly alone. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she doesn't, he doesn't see a big ass house. We live in an 1180 square foot, three, three bedroom, I'm sorry, two bedroom, two and a half bath place. It's, right. We could certainly afford a lot more. I mean, we're going to move at some point in time. But the the core of our fam- familial unit is based off of us being together, mm-hmm. us doing things together. And I hope that, I guess, tapering back some of the luxuries in life that we could otherwise enjoy so that he appreciates them when he gets them. Mm-hmm will teach him that the finer things in life are worth achieving, but you have to earn them. Right. And I do worry that that I grew up in a situation where my, my father had made money, but my mom was very poor and lived with her. And then my father had lost money and he saw both sides of the spectrum in front of me. And, and to see him gain it and have it and lose it was almost worse than having my mom who never had it to begin with. Mm-hmm. So... My father's ego was wrapped up in his business and his wealth in some ways and who he was. And I remember thinking to myself, like, your, your mentors don't have to be positive role models. They can be negative. I've actually had more negative role models than I've had positive growing up. Right. But I learned a lot from, from that. My ego is not wrapped up in how much money I make. And I've always said to my friends that I've had this awesome period in my life my mid-20s to now where it's just been this almost linear progression of career growth and finance and and just responsibility and just life in general. And I've been very, very blessed that the, the, the economics have worked out to be in, almost in the same progression. Right. But I know that that's not life and there's going to be downsides coming. Yeah. When I was younger, I used to fear that. And now that I'm older, I hope that my son sees me go through the same adversity my father did. did. And I hope he sees me overcome it. Right. I agree. I mean, and a lesson that was that I've learned a, a long time ago, it's you can, and this applies to all aspects of, you know, raising your kids. You can tell your kid all you want. That's not, that's not what's going to teach them how to do anything. It's doing it. When they see you do it, how you conduct your life day in and day out, that's what they're going to learn from. Right. I can tell my kid to 
behave or you know treat people with respect but if i'm not treating the people around me with respect then why would he i feel like you treat me with respect i mean there's times you deserve it and there's times you don't deserve it really yeah like i deserve it all the time (laughs) just saying i'm I'm respectfully sexy respectfully right a lot of times ah yeah we're hitting the 107 mark we were officially 27 minutes over where we normally would go but i thought this conversation was warranted and worth it i, I like the q a's do you that was good they were a lot deeper than i was expecting yeah like they were very like deep i was surprised there was no like i mean how fat is chris really yeah i was expecting that but then i wouldn't ask i would ask it with your name there not mine yeah, yeah i'm that okay. guy yeah but, uh, okay, well, I think we covered everything. Uh, Dave Ramsey was wrong and an idiot. idiot. Mm-hmm. Uh, keeping current matters sucks. Mm-hmm. The National Association of Realtors can't be trusted. Uh, I'm sorry for everybody who lost their jobs. Crypto bros. Crypto bros are going to eventually kill Saeed. And uh, there's a lot of people around you who can be a mentor every single day. You just got to choose a scene that way. Right. Don't be afraid to ask questions. All right. And uh, Reading Rainbow. I mean, you need it, man. I got through all but one sentence tonight. No. All but one sentence. Yeah, but you were quivering. I was quivering. I got no smart ass comeback. We're going to end there tonight. Have a good night, everybody. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, so be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.